This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 2-0 pitch by the big right-hander. Belted, forget it. That's number 20. It will fly, fly, fly away. Oh, what a shot by the ball. Danny Tarnable with his 20th home run of the year, one nothing Mariners. Oh, what a bolt. We sit down with former Mariner Danny Tartable. Spent his rookie year in 1984 through 1986 with the Mariners, the longtime major leaguer, former all-star, and sitcom TV star. What do you remember about those early days in a Mariner's uniform? Overwhelmed. I would say, I would say overwhelmed, Gary. Uh, obviously, you know, I, I came up through the system from, from AA on, and, and so when I got that first call-up, to go to Seattle, I mean, uh, you know, I, I walk into the clubhouse and there's Dave Henderson and, and, and then there's, you know, uh, you know, Spike Owen is there and uh, Picante is there and, and you know, and, and Gorman Thomas is there and Al Cowan. And I walk into the clubhouse and I'm going, do I really belong in this clubhouse? <laughs> and, and so to me it was overwhelming. It was just but, – but then these guys kind of took me in under, underneath their wings, uh, the guys that I just mentioned – and made me feel really, really comfortable and made me feel like, you know, kid, you know, you're going to be here for a while. Um, so that, that to me probably was the, my very first feelings of, of Seattle, just being overwhelmed. You know, the, the, I walked into the stadium, and it's, you know, it's like uh, I've never been there before. So to me it was like just overwhelming, you know, fans and that, that whole thing. So it was um, – I look back at it and I look back at it uh, Gary and say, man, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I, I wouldn't change a bit of anything. It would be exactly the way it was. You got a taste in 84 and a taste <clears> again <throat> in 85, but then uh-huh. you're 86. Uh, you basically spent all year with the Mariners, a phenomenal rookie year. How do you mm-hmm. describe your 86 season? To be honest with you, after the, uh, after the 85 season, because I had gone up there and I had the, the bats that was given to me, I did pretty well. I thought that maybe – you know, in '85, I might have, I might have stayed, and I didn't. They sent me back down to to Calgary, which at that time, you know, I was, I was upset because I felt like I deserved to be on the team at that time. Um, but it was the best thing that happened to me because I went down to to Calgary and I had a, an incredible year. And once that got, I got that underneath my belt. I knew then that the following year, in '86, that I was going to stay. So for me, in '86, I was, I was almost feeling like, yeah, now I, I do deserve to be here, and and. And I played like it. I played like it. You really did. I mean, the numbers are phenomenal. Do, mm-hmm. do you have a favorite memory in a Mariners uniform? My first home run off of Tom Seaver. My first home run period was off of Tom Seaver. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that to me, I mean, when people talk to me, and my first beam, first time I got beam was by Tom Seaver too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was my first home run. And then I, then I, you know, I kind of hot dogged it a little bit too much. And my next, and they sat me down, and I remember when after after running around the bases, and it was in Comiskey, and after I ran around the bases and sat down, I remember Al Collins and Gorman Thomas saying, "Hey kid, come over here, sit down a second. 
I said, you know what, you know who that is up there, right? He's he's a he's a Hall of Famer. You don't treat people like that. Mm. I, and he sat me down. and says, you you may you may get beamed. I'm going to tell you ahead of time. <laughs> got up there and got beamed. Took it took it with respect. And never again did I ever you know it was it was a lesson learned. Let's just say, Gary, um, that to me was my very first outside of my first at bat at the Kingdom, where my first at bat at the Kingdom was was a, a kind of an infield hit game winner. Um, and, and so that to me, those two, those two things stand out. And of course I had, I, I was in the lineup the very next day and I come I think it committed like three errors at church stop. So I was like, it was bitter. It was kind of a bittersweet scenario. You mentioned that trade to Kansas city. That still bothers a lot of Mariners fans that, that trade to Kansas city. But I think about it in your family's terms because your dad played for the Kansas city athletics and there you were back in KC. He did. I, I still get tons and tons and tons of letters uh, from fans uh, in Seattle that they still talk about it. And so for, for me, you know, it, it still lingers around uh, on why they did it. And uh, it would have been fun to be part um, of that uh, Griffey Jr. and, and uh, Buner and all these guys been part of that scenario uh, in those years. But um yeah, they they still talk about it, and they still they 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 remind me. The fans there in Seattle still remind me. What was it like going to Kansas City? Um, you know what? It was once again. It was it was just a different scenario. I had already played a season, so I, you know I, I was I felt like you know I I belonged there. But you walk in, it's George Brett, it's yeah. Willie Wilson, it's Frank White. Uh, I mean, Brett Saberhagen, Mark Gubas, and, and and you know all these guys that were there. Just two years from uh, removed from winning the World Series, so they still had that World Series kind of thing going on. Um, they literally, once again, they took me in as part of the family, um, and they were they were they were they were awesome. They were great. Um, obviously, I hit behind George for most of my most of my career there, and then there was then you know then there's here here comes Bo, you know here comes mm-hmm. Bo coming in, so that was like a a separate thing going on itself, you know? Uh, so it, it was, it was really, really, um, for me, it was, it was an experience that, that taught me so, so much more, more than obviously that I have learned in my, in my rookie year. You're 87, your first year with Kansas city, 34 mm-hmm. homers, you hit over mm-hmm. 300, nearly 400 mm-hmm. on base percentage. I, I feel like you're the type of player that would be appreciated even more now not that you weren't back then, but even more now with the numbers you put up. That was a phenomenal season, your first year in Kansas City. Partly, you know, I, I really worked hard, but I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Uh, Hal McCray, who later, later became my, my manager, Hal was a player, he was a player coach. And I, I don't think that there's anybody in the game, if someone said, hey, okay, outside of your, your dad, who has taught you the most about the, the intricacies of the game? I would say it would probably be Hal McCray. And I learned so much about pitches and, and how to hit. And, because that's really he, that's what he did. He was one of the best DHs of all time. So his learn, he, teach, he taught me so much about how to read pitchers, how to, how, how to approach at-bats. That, that helped me during that season. You mentioned your dad, uh, Jose Tartable, who played from uh, eight, eight years in the major leagues. How mm-hmm. much influence did he have on your career and you growing up? Very early on, very early on, obviously through high school and um, even in the minors, 
um, my my that was he was my mentor mm. at, at that time. But when I got to the big leagues, I had other guys. But during the the development process, uh, I would say probably it was my dad who was always um, critiquing, you know, my play. Now I'll I'll, I'll I'll tell you a quick story. I was it was in Kansas City. It was my I, my first year in Kansas City. It was opening day, and opening day I think I went. And I, and I had my dad fly, fly out for opening day. He, um, he, was, he was in the organization at the time, but they allowed him to come out for opening day. And it was my, my dad and my father-in-law in, in the clubhouse. I had just gone four for five, game winner. I had a home run and, like I said, and like three or four RBIs, game winner. They walk, he walks, I walk in, obviously you want your dad's <laughs> approval, right? He, went, he, he proceeded to talk to me about what happened the time that I, that I, that I struck out. And I went four for five with uh, four RBIs. And what, what, let's not talk about the hits. Let's talk about the strikeouts. That's the kind of conversation that I would have with my dad. It wasn't, it wasn't the good. It's how, how, do, how can I be better? You know? and, and so when they asked him, the reporters, he's sitting around in my locker, they asked him, well, Mr. Startable, you know, your son just, you know, had an a, a unbelievable game. And he said, oh, he did okay. <laughs> you know, hey, where do you go with that? I mean, so you know that that just tells you if you're asking me about my dad, that's that's how my dad was throughout my 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 development years and, and in the minors. Uh, you mentioned Bo Jackson. Uh, uh-huh. What was that atmosphere like with Bo, especially just bursting onto the scene and just being a phenomenon? I guess is is how I would put it. I would best explain it like if you're playing on a team with a rock star. Mm. Um, it, it was very rock star-ish um, where fans and, you know, the following. And, I mean, even when we play on, like, as a, as, as a visitor on, on other, other, other stadiums, it would, be, it, would be, it would be like a rock star. Mm. And then, of course, Everything that he used to do on, on, I mean, I was in right field the day that he ran up on the wall in Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. I'm Willie Wilson's in center. I'm in right. And he went to catch his ball, and he goes running up, up you know, like Spider-Man on top. I was there. I saw it. So it was things like that. It was, it was the, you know, the, 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 the long home runs. But it was, it, was, it was a rock star. It was definitely a rock star feeling. And you, you, knew, you knew you were going to see something different, you know, from, from time to time from him, obviously. Yeah, there's some plays that are just eye-popping. Him throwing out Harold Reynolds at home plate is one that just... I was there. You know, what what I was, was your view of that play? Line drive. Toward the corner in left field. It's going to be up to Bo Jackson to try to stop Reynolds from scoring. He can't do it. Yes, he can. I don't believe it. He made an absolutely perfect throw. It looked like there was no way he was going to get it. I just thought... I just, we're taught as outfielders, you know, hit your cutoff, man, right? So we're taught from the out, from our out, from you know, from the very beginning, spring training. Let's hit, hit let's hit our cutoff, man. Bo just said, "The hell with the cutoff, man. I'm just going to throw this moon rocket because that's what it looked like—a moon rocket." He took one step against the actual wall, and right from the he didn't even take a crow hop. He just he just I threw it like he was throwing you know a pebble or a rock, you know, on a lake, and he just threw a, a missile. All the way home, and, and obviously you know Harold can run. Mm. That was the problem to me. That's probably the most impressive thing because of the fact that you know Harry can run. I mean, if it's some some guy was lumbering, I would say okay, but he, he threw a missile, and I, I could I just couldn't even believe it. I was like, what the heck was that? Who was the toughest pitcher you faced? People ask me that question every time. You know what's funny? You know what's funny, guys? Everybody expects for me to say 
uh, Roger Clemens uh-huh. or Randy Johnson. Do you know the toughest guy, the toughest guy that I ever faced, believe it or not, who pissed in Seattle is Jamie Moyer. Ah. Jamie Moyer gave me fits. Fits. I mean, literally fits. But like I said, most people want to, they want to basically, uh, you know, they want me to say Roger Clemens or Randy Johnson or uh, Pedro Martinez or somebody like that. But no, it was, it was, it was guys that were, you know, that didn't, didn't want to give in. If, you know, obviously I'm, I'm in a fastball hitting count and they're throwing me changeups. And I'm going, well, you know, that's not the way we play this game, you know? I love hitting against guys like Roger because you know they, they have big egos, just you know, and, and they know that they can they can strike you out. And to me, that's that's exactly the guy that I wanted up there. You know, Dave Stewart is another one that was was didn't give me any problems. But you know, a guy like Jimmy Moore, he would kill me, kill me. You just mentioned New York. I got to ask you about your sure. your time in in pinstripes and what was uh. It was a very interesting era of Yankees baseball that you were in New York. What was that time like? Um, it was the beginning of what you saw in '96. It was at the infancy because um, Bernie, Bernie was our, our center fielder. Paul O'Neill was there. I, I was there. So there were some components um, that were uh, – Andy Pettit was there. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some components that – was the beginning of what started up in 96. And I, I got in on it at the, at the infancies. We were not quite there yet uh, to compete with the best of the best. Um, but it was very, um, they were trying to get there. They were trying to get there. And eventually, you know, then they, they had Jeter come up then they had Posada come up. Um, like I said, Pettit was already there. Um, uh, Mariano had not, uh, Mariano was with us in, 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 in spring training and part of the season, but he wasn't, he hadn't found that, that cutter yet. He hadn't found that pitch that made him the Hall of Famer that he is. So he was finding himself. Uh, and so it was just a, it was a culmination of, of having people um, get to where they needed to get and, and the guys that were there settling in. Um, that's the, that was the very beginning, because I got there in 92. And, and so um, we, had, we had some good players, but we, we, we didn't have enough to – compete with the, with the very best. I mean, Oakland was a monster back then. Yeah. You know, they were, they were a monster. They had Conseco and they had Maguire and they had Stewart and Eckersley and all them. They, they were going to handle, handle the American League with that kind of a team. But, but being there in New York was, you know what, it, it, was, it was an up and down for me because I had, I had good years with, with New York. Um, but New York is a different animal. Uh, you know, New York is a, a different animal in the sense that um, uh, George made it that way. He made it, he made it very difficult on players um, in the sense that it was never a, I'll come talk to you face-to-face about something or let's discuss this. It was, everything was done through the media. Mm. So obviously everything done with the, through the media, that means you're on the back page of, of the newspaper almost every day. It's a tabloids mm. almost every day. So it, it, it was. It was. It took me a while to to actually get used to it. Um, I would tell a story. I was on a podcast the last last Friday, and they were asking me, "What is the, what? What are the craziest things that you saw George do?" I said, "Well, I remember we were playing a spring training game um, in in in, um, in Fort Lauderdale because we hadn't moved to Tampa yet, in Fort Lauderdale, and we were going to play the Mets. And for George, in spring training, the, we have to beat the Mets every time." <laughs> and in that, by that time, we didn't, we didn't have interleague yet. 
So we have to be the kings of New York. So in his in his book, but it's a, it's a spring training game. So I hear I hear a sound going. It's a helicopter. Helicopter comes down, lands in the middle of center field, and I, I'm going. What it? What, and we're this is a spring. Tra- once again, I want to mention this is a spring training game. So we're getting ready to play, and and I see this helicopter landing in center field, and I said, What? Who is that? What, what's this? What this is all about? It's George coming out with fanfare with his hands up in the air and wanting to waving at the fans. I'm going, this is a circus. This is spring training. What are we doing here? And it was all because we were playing the New York Mets, and he wanted to make a big splash. And that's indicative of what George was like um, even in spring training. That's even amazing. in spring training. Yeah. I mean, I don't know of any – I've never played for any owner that, that, that did that. I know the Coffins wouldn't do that. Now, the guys – I loved hitting uh, behind Donnie. Uh, I loved the, my teammates, all of them. Um, we, we, from time to time, from time to time, um, I haven't talked to him in a, long, a while, we do kind of, you know, uh, catch up with each other. But it, it, the, 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 the nucleus of the team, Gary, was great. The fans are great when you're doing great. When, when you're not doing great, and I've seen it not only for myself, but I've seen it for other players, um, it can be, it could, it, could t- it could wear you out. Playing a season in New York is like playing two in, huh. in Kansas City or in Seattle. You know, even non-baseball fans know you as a New York Yankee, thanks to Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I kind of knew you were going to go there, Gary. <laughs> well, I have to. I mean, that, the uh, Seinfeld. You were on Seinfeld. It's amazing. Yeah. Yep. I was on there twice. You got to tell me about the car ride with George. Is that Danny Tartable? That's right. Of the New York Yankees. Wow, I'd like to shake his hand, but I can't. <laughs> uh, I got to tell you that Jason Alexander to me is, is if it wasn't for him, it, it wouldn't have not gone, gone as smooth, smooth as it did. He, he actually, and, and Jerry too, Jerry as well, the, dealing with them too, and, 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 and having to go through lines and table reads and, and scenes and all that kind of stuff. Had it had it not be for that for them, it would have not it would have not gotten that it would have not looked that smooth. It was really all them. They were they were coaching me how to how to go through the scenes. But um, pe- people wise, they're they're awesome. They, they, Jason's awesome. Jerry Jerry is very humble. Um, believe it or not, he's very very humble. And, and and the entire cast, like I said, if it wasn't for them, it, there would have been no way that I I would have gotten it, gotten through that uh, as 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 easy. Larry David, Larry David is another one who's awesome. You know, he had the patience of Job, and and um, yeah, it, it was it, it was an amazing it was an amazing um, experience. But, but believe it or not, Kramer Kramer acts the same way off off stage as it is as he does on 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 TV. <laughs> he, he walks around the same way with the hair just bouncing all over, and he's walking around like he's you know he's 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 a nervous wreck, and and, and but he acts like that off as he does on. How did that develop? How did this happen? Um, so what happened was that the, um, the Seinfeld show got a hold of our PR guy. And, and you know who our PR guy was at that, at that time? No. Cashman. Oh. <laughs> Brian Cashman was our PR guy. And um, obviously we're obviously worked up the ranks to where he is right now, but he was our PR guy. And, they, and Cash comes over to me and says, hey, Danny, you know what? The people at Seinfeld want to do uh, a segment with you. 
and we shot the first one with the one in the in the car with the, the cutting of the um of the uh, donut. Uh, we shot that one here in L.A. and it was night. I got there like at five or six o'clock in the afternoon, and we didn't shoot until like close to midnight. But, but they, I mean, obviously they they treated you so. I mean, you know, they they treated you so good. You had your own, you know, your own uh, mobile thing and going on and food and this and that and the other. Um, and then the second one, I, we we actually did that one. I came to the ballpark early in Anaheim because we that was in in the locker room at the Big A, and we filmed that one with the with the polyester polyester uniform. <laughs> but he was he was he'd be cracking jokes we'd be laughing even when we're not when we weren't filming we even i mean together just laughing about just and and the knowledge that they actually have more knowledge about baseball than people think that they do mm-hmm. they they know a lot about baseball as you walk around in the world today do you still get you know people cutting up their desserts and do people talk about that to you all the time they are they, they do that all, they do that all the time they do that all the time they, they do that all the time and, and you know, my wife and I are somewhere, and um, they'll they'll actually act like the guy that that was that had a broken middle <laughs> finger. And I go, okay, you're not flipping me off. I know what you, I know what you're trying to do. <laughs> Dude, lo- love the segment, man. I said, no worries, man. But you know, you would think that guy. I would, I would you know, you think he's flipping me off. I'm going. I know you're not flipping me off. I know that you're talking about the segment. Right. It's hot in this uniform. Hot. What is this? What is what? This uniform, what's it made from? I don't know, cotton? Nah, no, no, no. This is not cotton. Yeah. Let me see. What are you doing? I want to see the look. Let me see. Here, stop. Polyester. I can't believe you're not playing in cotton. Oh, man. That's yeah. so good. I mean, did you have any idea when you were doing that how just the legacy, how long this would last? Just how big it's To be honest with you, no. Yeah. To be honest with you, no. That's yeah. I'd, I'd be lying if I said yeah, Gary. I, I, there's no, I no. I had no idea. I had seen a couple of. I've seen a couple of shows. I didn't know how big that show was actually going to. It's actually bigger now than it ever been because mm-hmm. people seriously watch the reruns all the time. Um, but no, to answer your question, no. I did. I, I never knew that. Um, I mean, I did married with. I did one with married with children too. Um, that one was fun. I'll tell you why that one was fun because I had um, Brett Saberhagen. He was he was in it with me. I had Mike Piazza. He was in there with me. I had um, Dave Winfield was in it with me, and the late great Joe Morgan. Yeah, we we all did we all and it, actually we did it um, the year of the strike. Which by the way, at that time in '94 with the Yankees, we were eight games ahead of everybody else. We're heading into you know August, which I regret obviously because that would have been you know at least playoff time for us. When you think back on your career, what are you most proud of? Probably more off field than than on on field. I'm more proud of being because uh, I I tried to I tried to become a really really good t- teammate, and I and, and I'll tell you a short story about that later in, in a minute. Um, I, I want people I want my teammates to remember the teammate that I was for them. What you know how 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 hard we worked together. I want them to know that I cared. I made sure that. Selfishness was not not even a part of it. Mm-hmm. I want to, I, I do want them to remember that. Outside of the the, the actual the obvious, you know, the going out there and and, and being clutch and, and all that stuff that that goes without saying. But being a good good person, a good teammate, uh, uh, you know, to me that's probably what I want 
you know, I want one of my guys to remember, yeah, remember Bull, man? Man, he you know, he helped me out, this and that, you know, and that's kind of like what I want to leave behind in the game. You know, the type of uh, person that I was. You know, that to me probably is the most important. Uh, who are your uh, favorite teammates? Who did you really enjoy playing with? Oh, my goodness. I had a few. Um, in Seattle, I, in Seattle, I got to tell you, just I'm going to start with Seattle. Seattle, for me, I learned so much from Steve and Dave Henderson. The both of them took me under their wings. And Steve and Dave Henderson probably are, were my favorite in Seattle. In Kansas City, it was definitely Willie Wilson. Mm. We, him and I are like brothers. I mean, even after the game, we would go out and go to dinner, and our wives would go out, and yeah. So it's and, and in in New York, it would probably be Melito Perez, Bernie Williams, and Don Manley. Those three guys were were my guys. So I I love great baseball stories. Mm-hmm. And I imagine you have a million of them. Do you have a favorite <laughs> that you like to tell? I'll I'll tell you I have a million. I'll tell you a funny one, okay? Because because yeah. um, he he was he was another one that was real close to me, Steve Howe, okay? Yeah. So Steve Howe and I we used to prank each other all the time, right? We used to like prank each other. He'd he'd leave stuff in my locker. I'd leave stuff in his locker, okay? So we're it's um we're in a rain delay. Okay, and obviously in radio, as you know, what guys do? Some of them go to sleep. Some of them play cards. Some of them, you know, prank. And and, that, and we decided to prank, right? So we we started off with going into the um, the section where the food's at, and started off like taking a taking a grape and like tossing it and acting like you know you don't know where it's coming from, right? <laughs> so you hit him in the head, and he turns around. He looks around. He doesn't know who it is. You do it again. You hit him in the head. He goes, "Turn around, that's you." I go, dude. I'm sitting here reading my reading the newspaper, dude. How could how could that be me? He says, I know it's you. So he grabs, turns around, and starts tossing things at me. Right? We're in a rain delay. In the center of the in the center of the clubhouse in Yankee Stadium is an old trunk that used to be the trunk that used to take um, all the uniforms, like Babe Ruth's uniform, the Joe DiMaggio's, Mickey's. It's still, and it's in, it's in the center of the room, kind of like a big table, right? So all of a sudden, things starts escalating. <laughs> it starts escalating, and then now we have this little chase thing running around, running around the actual trunk. Steve Howe catches a corner of the actual uh, trunk and destroys his pinky, right? <laughs> the pinky starts swelling up, and now all of a sudden he can barely put his uh, baseball shoe. He goes in the training room. The trainer said, what happened? He says, I've been chasing Tartable around, and, and, I, and I ran into the dog on trunk. The, the, the toe is getting purple. <laughs> so he goes in, he has, he has it taped up, right? He's thinking that he's not going to get called. The game's go, we, we resume the game. We start playing the game. And I hadn't seen him. Obviously, I start getting ready. We'll start, you know, I'll go out in the outfield and start playing. It's about like the seventh inning, and we're like tied or something like that. And and we had a left-handed hitter. I can't remember who the left-handed hitter was, but they uh, Steve Howe did not want to tell Buck that he had a problem with his toe. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, Buck grabs the phone and, and goes and calls the clo- the uh, out there in the uh, bullpen and says, "Get get Steve Howe ready." And I, when I see Steve Howe get up. I started because he's now he now he's hobbling right <laughs> now he's hobbling because his toe is killing him. 
So all of a sudden, they said, you know, get, we get Steve in the game, and they say, now pitching Steve Allen. The bullpen door opens, and he hops. <laughs> <laughs> He's hopping from, from the bullpen all the way to the mound. And he gets to the mound. Buck comes out to the mound. He's, uh, what's going on? Are you, are you okay? He goes, no, I was chasing Tarpaul, and I got, and I, and I, and my toes killing me. Do you know he he got pulled from the game? You're not pitching to that, and he he couldn't pitch because he was running after me, and his toe was broken. Actually, he found out his toe's broken, and he couldn't pitch. He he had to be put on on the disabled list. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.